0: Amen. Good morning, church family. Let's try that again. Are we on? All right. We got a thumbs up. Good morning, church family. Good morning. It's good to see you all to be together here, and uh, we've been looking to Jesus individually this week. Where wherever we've been today, we get to gather, and we get to look at Him together. Is there anything more beautiful than God's people coming together and looking at their Savior together? That's just that's heaven. That's heaven. So, we're, so we're and we're an embassy of heaven. So I'm so grateful to get to to be with you today and to worship with you and to to press into Jesus together. If you're here for the first time. You've really kind of heard the mission statement of our church, that we exist to turn our eyes upon Jesus, and when we focus on Him, everything else becomes very, very clear, okay? Everything else. Pay attention to Him, press into Him, love Him, focus on Him. And I'd love to have some time with you. If you're new, I'll be in a place called the Fireside Room. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to know what your prayer requests are, your needs. We want you to feel at home here in the church family. Uh, We've been in a series of messages over the New Testament book of Hebrews. It's a sermon that was preached 2,000 years ago. It's an incredible sermon that was preached to this fledgling congregation. And um, Even good sermons have to be concluded. And so we conclude the sermon to the Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 to 25. We're going to land this plane here. But I want you to think about what we just sang about turning our focus upon Jesus and about pressing into him. I want you to think about that. And here's how here's how I want to start our last verses on this. We have an enemy who at this very moment is scheming of ways to ruin your relationship with Christ and derail his purpose for us as a church. Did you know that? Did you know that? There is an enemy who at this very moment is scheming of ways to ruin your relationship with Christ and to derail Christ's purpose for us as his church. This enemy is tempting us to settle for religious motions devoid of relational affection. This enemy wants to rob us of the joy and wonder of walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the world's true king and sole savior and everlasting intercessor. You have an enemy. And this enemy's aim is to beat you down. So that like Esau in Genesis 25, you will trade your firstborn inheritance for a bowl of red stuff. That's Genesis 25. That's what it says. Red stuff, red stuff. That's what Esau wanted. He was so focused on the short term that he just was willing to trade the long term. This enemy wants you to swap the eternal, unshakable city for a short-term city that is living on borrowed time. You have an enemy. And if he can distract you from the beauty of our Lord's all-sufficient, all-powerful, never-changing life, if he can distract us from knowing him and loving him and wanting him, if He can cause you to forget that His Holy Spirit lives in you to help you be more like Him, if He can do that, and if He can do that to all of us and divert our attention as a church from pursuing Christ and sharing Christ and making disciples for Christ, then this enemy will have won. This enemy is too shrewd Too shrewd to tempt you with exotic satanic worship practices. All he wants to do is distract you to a comfortable, socially respectable display of Americanized churchianity. We have an enemy who at this very moment is scheming of ways to ruin your relationship with Christ and derail his purpose for us as a church. Now family, that is why the book of Hebrews was preached 2,000 years ago. That's why it exists and that's why we've been studying it since last Labor Day. Okay. I've been keeping track. <laughs> and let me just say, I, I am so humbled to get to walk all these months in one book of the Bible with, with the best listeners. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews 13, and I want to read verses 7 to 25. This sermon concludes, and the preacher challenges the original congregation then and our congregation now. And and the preacher, I mean, there's a conclusion ought not to have new information. So there's nothing new in here. It's just time to choose. It's just time to choose. And as I read these verses, I want us to listen to the choices that are being offered. And there are only two, as there have been only two offers of the last 12 chapters. I want to put a tag on this message. Choose hard places of need, not soft places of comfort. Hebrews 13. 7 to 25. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Only a preacher would say that. (laughs) You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word. Amen. Hmm. Do you hear the choices? Hmm. Uh, They're really... Concentrated in verses eleven to fourteen, culminating in this beautiful, beautiful verse fourteen. Here, no lasting city, that's choice one, but we seek the city that is to come. Choice two. Okay. That, I mean, you could just summarize the book of Hebrews right there. Choice one, choice number one: die for the short-lived city of man. Choice number two: Die for the unseen eternal city of Christ. See, you're going to die for one, or die for the other. See? And and you're going to die for one of them. And two thousand years ago, Jewish Christians were tempted to shrink back from the city of Christ to a safer, more socially acceptable religion. And some were even tempted to pledge allegiance to both cities. But after 12 chapters, the preacher said, you cannot live in two cities at one time. You are going to have to choose. Now, which is it going to be? Will you embrace comfort or will you embrace the cross? Will you pursue the pleasures in the short lived city of man, or will you pursue lasting paradise in the city of Christ to come? Which is it going to be? Here's what the preacher's been saying Choose the city to come, choose that city, choose need, not comfort. So, so the path of intentionally living for the city of Christ, the city that is to come, the eternal city, the, the, the path of living deliberately for King Jesus is fourfold. Remember, focus, feast, offer. That's what we see in these verses. Remember, focus, feast, offer. Remember, focus, feast offer. Remember, remember your leaders who influenced you for Christ and imitate their endurance. That's remember. You'll notice as I was reading verse 7 and verse 17 complement each other. They kind of mirror each other. That's intentional. It's like they're bookends. Uh, the, the snazzy fancy word is the word inclusio everybody say that on three. One, two, three. inclusio inclusio now you know snazzy fancy theological terms inclusio inclusio we know the word inclusion it's it's where words are repeated at the beginning and the end of a section like bookends and and so 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 what pastor well So, like a sandwich, the the meat is in the middle. And so, so what's in the middle of the two bookends helps explain the bookends. So, when the preacher says, remember your leaders, verse 7, and then follow your leaders in verse 17, the, the, the preacher then explains what kind of leadership is worth following. So, so... The preacher is not calling for uncritical obedience or thoughtless compliance. That's not what's going on here. And my heart breaks over some of you who have experienced and been wounded by pastoral malfeasance. And, and we've read about or we've personally experienced spiritual leaders who were supposed to be shepherding and protecting and feeding the flock, but instead they, they fed upon the flock. And attacked the flock. They acted more like wolves than shepherds. So I understand if verses 7 and 17 trigger a pushback. I want to acknowledge that. The question that helps me understand the meaning of the, verse 7 and verse 17 is, is I just ask it, if we, are a, if we are being asked to remember and respect spiritual leadership, what is it about their life and leadership are we to imitate? So so what makes a spiritual leader worth following? That's a fair question. It's a good question. And according to the text, when you're weary of following Jesus, when your faith is flagging and you're feeling the fatigue, you're feeling like an outsider in a city that's passing away, when you feel like quitting, remember those who lived and died before you. Remember their faith. Remember their walk, remember their lives. Most commentaries believe that the leaders mentioned in verse 7 had already died. And so these mentors endured to the very end of their lives. But their legacy of faith continues. So for me, it would be Roy Blackmore. Roy was my pastor at East Tulsa Christian Church. Roy baptized me. Roy ordained me into the ministry. Roy was an efficient at our wedding. Roy served East Tulsa Christian Church for 25 years. He finished the race. He kept the faith. Here at Windsor Road, I'm not just thinking of, 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 of spiritual leaders of my home church. I'm thinking about faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Windsor Road. Specifically, I'm thinking of Jerry Heiser. Jerry was an active, faithful member of this church family. Wonderful marriage, two wonderful children. One summer, Jerry and his wife Tammy met with me. They they needed an appointment. We went to the fireside room, and, and Jerry said with tears in his eyes, Randy, I've been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. It is growing, and it will eventually kill me. I have about a year. Will you pray for us? Man, it was a heavy conversation. And at the conclusion, I prayed. And I'll never forget what Jerry said when we lifted our eyes. He said, Randy, I have believed Christ all these years. I'm not stopping now. And man, he didn't. And that next year, you know, I watched Jerry walk into worship service. And then as the weeks went by, he walked more slowly. And then he had to use a cane. And then he, had, he needed a walker. And then a wheelchair. And then a wheelchair that supported his neck. I mean, he came every week. And that tumor grew And it just destroyed his body, destroyed his eyesight, destroyed his ability to speak. He'd come here to this church, he could barely see it, he couldn't speak, but he came. But it didn't destroy his faith. It couldn't do that. And at his funeral, I preached Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. And where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I mean, is there anybody here thinking about quitting? Is there anybody here thinking about, you know, wondering, is this Christianity really true? Is it really worth it? Would you remember Hebrews chapter 12? Would you remember that surrounding us, in life, in death, is one great community cloud of witnesses? And they are for us. And we're not crazy. This is true. This this is not a closed universe. We're not grown-up germs. We don't exist in a cosmic death trap. Believe Hebrews 13, 14 church. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Look to that city. Seek that city. Long for that city so that when it comes time to die, you're ready. Jim Elliott was a martyred missionary who served and died in Ecuador. And his amazing story is chronicled by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott. It's a book called Through Gates of Splendor. And perhaps the most cited quote of Jim Elliott was his paraphrase of Matthew 10, 39. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus said. And and Jim Elliott's paraphrase was, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To me, there is a lesser-known, yet just as powerful quote from Jim Elliott, and it's this. When it comes time for you to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. Make sure you're at peace with God through Christ. Make sure you fought the fight. Make sure you finished the race. Make sure you kept your focus on Christ. Make sure that there are no unspoken conversations. Make sure there are no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Live and die for Christ in a way that will strengthen those who follow you. Huh. See? That's what we're seeing here. And and church, I I know this is heavy stuff, but I mean This is heavy stuff. This is important. So we need to remember our mentors, and then we need to focus. Focus on Jesus. Remember, focus. Focus on Jesus, because Jesus doesn't change. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and unto the ages. Unto the ages. That's literally what it says. Unto the ages. So the Jesus who sustained the cloud of witnesses. The Jesus who was the strength to those in the past. The Jesus who walked on water. The Jesus who fed the hungry. The Jesus who raised the dead. This Jesus never changes. He's the same. We may grow weary. He does not. We may get sleepy. He does not. Our bodies and brain cells may deteriorate to the point where we don't even know God. But He knows us. He knows your name. He's the same. In other words, Jesus doesn't get old. He doesn't fatigue. He doesn't forget who we are. He doesn't grow tired of us. The Savior that the Hebrew church Worship 2,000 years ago is the same Savior we worship today. And His love doesn't change. His mercy doesn't change. His grace doesn't change. People come and go. Pastors come and go. I'm the fifth pastor of this church. And only a few of you could tell me who the fourth pastor of this church was. And maybe two of you could tell me who the third pastor of this church was. As I see it, two pastors from now, people will say, Randy who? Because pastors change, and I'm good with that, because Jesus doesn't change, and personalities change, and times change, and nations change, Jesus doesn't change, the same Jesus who loved us And died for us is the same Jesus who ascended to the heavenly realm where right now he is praying. So the evil one is scheming, but Jesus is praying. He is praying for you and me. The one with all authority lives to intercede for us. That's what Hebrews 6.25 says. He always lives to make intercession for us. So endure The city to come requires us to remember our mentors and then focus our eyes on the changeless one. The changeless one. He doesn't change and his gospel doesn't change. The gospel of grace never changes. So remember him, focus on him, and then feast on him. Feet, remember, focus, feast. Feast on grace at the altar of the cross. Church family, God has always received us on the basis of his grace. The Sermon to the Hebrews does not teach us that people were once saved in the Old Testament by law keeping. But now in the New Testament, they're saved by grace. No, we've always been saved by grace. You say, well, what's the point of the Old Covenant? The Old Covenant exists to teach us the impossibility of coming to God on our own merit. The New Covenant, so you've got to have bad news if you're going to understand and appreciate good news. And the new covenant is the announcement of good news. One has come and has done for us what we could never do on our own. And so in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 13, the preacher contrasts the the menu of old covenant law keeping with its dietary regulations against the gospel of grace whose banquet feast has superseded the food laws of ancient Judaism. That's why chapter 13, verse 9 says, It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Doing more and trying harder will never put you right with God. But grace makes it right. Food can only fill the stomach. But only grace can strengthen the heart. And don't you want that? Don't you want your heart strengthened? Well, how? Well, you need to come to the table of grace. And verse 10 says that the table of grace is served at the altar. We have an altar. Verse 10, you see that? You say, well, what is our altar? It's not a what, it's a who. Jesus is our altar. Our altar is Jesus Christ crucified. And whereas the old covenant altar was located in the tabernacle in a place called the Holy of Holies, accessible to only the high priest, our altar is located outside the camp, publicly. The preacher's talking about Golgotha, the place of the skull where Christ was crucified. Verse 11 speaks of animals whose blood was sprinkled on the altar in the tabernacle, and then their carcasses were burned outside the camp. That's a reference. Write down Leviticus 16, 27. Leviticus 16, 27. It says, And the bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. So that verse is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who was crucified outside Jerusalem don't you see the beauty of the Bible? The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And we have an altar. And that altar exists outside the city at the carcass dump. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order. So here in this place of desecration, because Jesus went there, became holy. Why? Because Jesus is holy. And whoever Jesus touches is holy, you see. He's not going to be defiled. He's holy. When he touches the defiled, we become holy. And that's verse 12. So the menu Christ offers is at one and the same time. It's appetizer, entree, and dessert. It's grace. We have a new altar, a new table, and this banquet of grace will strengthen your heart and it is an open table for all who will come to Christ through faith it's for any tongue and any tribe and any nation and any people group all you need to do is believe Lord I don't know everything I want to know about you or the Bible but I know my life is a mess And I know I can't even keep my own standards of conduct, let alone yours. I want you, Lord. I want to believe you and trust you and lean on you and press into you. You, Lord Jesus, are the most qualified person to tell me how to live my life. And I want my heart strengthened by grace. And beloved, Jesus answers those prayers. Grace is nothing less than Jesus himself. Christianity is not a code of conduct. It's a resurrected shepherd. And the invitation to dine with Jesus is not going to be in the temporary city. But the invitation is for the eternal city. And the path to eternal city is through the carcass dump where Jesus was crucified. Therefore, verse 13 let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured he promised this if they persecute me they're going to persecute you And you cannot follow jesus and stay in the safe confines of respectable religion we got to go to the hard places we got to go to the places that george mcleod wrote about he was a pastor He once said, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On a town garbage heap. At the crossroad of politics so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk smut. And thieves curse. And soldiers gamble. Because that's where he died. And that's what he died about. And that's where Christ's own ought to be. And that's what the church people ought to be about. Now, I don't know what the carcass dump looks like in your life. And I don't know where the hard place is for you. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's maybe it's a, a space where someone is perceived to be on the outside and they're not in the in group, and, and maybe it's a person who feels like that he or she is damaged goods. Well, these verses say, "Go there and stay there," and the encouragement to follow Jesus outside the camp is a reminder. That marginalization is not an unfortunate circumstance. It is the core of discipleship. Just as Jesus suffered as the marginalized one, his followers are also expected to be marginalized. So don't abandon your post. This is no time for retreat. It's time for resolve. Beloved, God is not going to cheat us. His word is true. He is faithful. Remember, focus, feast, offer. Offer. Verse 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So Jesus offered himself once for all as the sacrifice for our sin. We learned that in Hebrews nine twenty seven. It's done. It's done. Once for all. Now, as his people, his church, his ambassadors, we are are called to give sacrifices, but not for sin. They're sacrifices of praise to the one who sacrificed for our sin. So so we offer praise with our lips, the text says, and generosity with our lives. So every dollar given to the Lord's work and every good work expended locally and globally, these are sacrifices of praise and worship to the Lord and, and how I praise God for your sacrifices of praise to Him. I'm thinking both globally and locally. I'm thinking just yesterday in our first Saturday service. I've got some pictures that I want to show you of uh, the ministry that went on at Salt and Light. And, and then the ministry that went on here on our campus where uh, 65 households we served in Jesus' name on these grounds. And, 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 and then uh, Laura sent me an email yesterday telling me how at Centennial Park we prayed over our schools and, and we put together 200 thank you cards with just free donut coupons to bless our teachers for Appreciation Week. We just... We just wanted to let our community know that we are for our community. We love our community. We're praying for our community. We're praying for you as an educator at home, in our public schools, in our private schools. All of these sacrifices of good works amplify the name of our great God. And the beauty is that that we believe these sacrifices of praise are fueled by the Lord himself. Uh, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer put it this way. The fire to do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what's been done. And verses 20 and 21 tell us who who has done the doing. Jesus Christ. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, Beloved, just stop there. May the God of peace, Church, God's peace is ours to receive, not earn. And may this God of peace, who brought back from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Shepherd, may He equip us with everything good, so that we will do His will. Will you, Will you believe this? Will you dare to believe that the power that resurrected Christ from death lives in you, lives in you, brother, lives in you, sister, and and lives in our congregation? His Spirit lives in our congregation. We have death-defying power at work within us, working in you what is pleasing in His sight. Isn't that our aim? Isn't it? Not, Not that we do it all perfectly, Not that we're able to please everyone, but we live to please an audience of one, no matter what. We live for the pleasure of God. And to do that takes prayer. (laughs) So pray for us, the preacher says. Put me on your prayer list. This preacher shamelessly asks the church for prayer. Pray that I keep a clean conscience and that I act honorably. Because, Because that preacher's being accused that preacher is being, being persecuted. and How easy it is to want to fight back. But Jesus is going to do the fighting one of these days. We're going to let him take care of it. Just pray that I keep my eyes on Christ, the preacher says. That I stay focused on him. That's how. That's how. That's how we choose the city that is to come. We remember. We remember. We focus, we feast, and then we offer. And we're not going to be distracted. Hmm. Some of you don't know this, but I was a football star in eighth grade. So I went to, this, uh, went to this shirt and tie college prep school in Tulsa, Holland Hall. We were Holland Hall Dutchmen, the Dutch. And I played, I played football. And um, well, the truth is, I wasn't really that good. But for some reason, I made it on the first team. And, and that year, I really wanted to score a touchdown. I really did. I wanted to score a touchdown. Now, the problem with that was um, I was a lineman. <laughs> and I also played defense. So, and, and I wanted to score a touchdown. I mean, I just needed a miracle. That's what I needed. So, one Saturday, we played our arch rival, Casha Hall. Holland Hall, Casha Hall. It was fourth down, and the game was pretty close. This is true. And uh, so I was on defense. We rushed the punter, and and someone got through, blocked the punt, and the ball bounced perfectly into my arms. (laughs) Unbelievable! Unbelievable! I tucked that pigskin in. And I bolted all the way down the field, 13 yards, <laughs> and scored the touchdown. It, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. In fact, I was so excited, I spiked the ball, which then drew a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> which, 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 I'm not making this up, I was also the kicker. So, so I, instead of kicking off on the 40, we had to kick on like the 25. And I went to kick it. And, and I, I tried to kick it so hard to make up for the 15, <laughs> 15 yards that we were deficit. I tried to kick it so hard. I mean, I absolutely like, it, it's just like, I just hit at the bottom end. I mean, it was terrible. It was just awful. I, 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 hit, I, hit, the, I hit the big ball, Earth, before I hit the football. And, and this thing just skyrocketed up, and, 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 and I kept my eyes on it, and I kept looking at it, and I went, and I actually caught it. I did. And so we got the ball, because it, it advanced more than 10 yards. It was a live ball. I caught it, and then we trounced them, man. Thank you for letting me relive that a moment. <laughs> I felt so good. I mean, can you imagine, though, um, a scenario where, you know, block the punt, I receive the ball, I scoop it up, but, in, but instead of just bolting and running into the end zone, I just stop, and I'm thinking, wow, wow, the Lord has answered my prayer. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Or can you imagine a scenario where I do that and then just run over to the sidelines and say, mom, dad. Can you believe this? This is incredible. Or maybe I, or maybe I don't run to mom and dad. Maybe I run to, to Leanne, who I had a crush on in eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you're saying, well, that, that's no way to win a game, and we all know why. Because when it came down to what was most important, fixing your eyes on the goal, you got distracted. You let something divert your attention. You drifted. You drifted. I'm looking at a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are running a race, and there's an enemy who at this very moment is scheming of ways to distract your relationship with Christ and derail his purpose for our church. I do not want us to miss Jesus. I want us to want Him. I want us to want Him more than life, more than money, more than anything, more than anyone. I want us to say, God, whatever it takes, if it's, if it's poverty, if it's life, if it's death, if it's health, if it's sickness, I, I want you, God. I want you. I want to keep running the race until the day I see your face. Church family, let's fix our eyes on Christ. Amen.